0: Welcome to the Life-Size City Urbanism Podcast. I'm Michael Koval Anderson. You might have heard a thing or two about Copenhagen. Sometimes it might feel like you've had it up to here hearing about Copenhagen. This city has been riding a branding wave for more than a decade. Food, design, bicycles, architecture, quality of life, urbanism. By and large, it's well-deserved. But no city is perfect, or ever will be. I myself have been critical of certain aspects of Copenhagen urbanism. Check the link in the description to an article I wrote recently entitled, Copenhagen, Too Smug to Learn. This episode is about one glaring dent and scratch in the chrome of Copenhagen's glossy green brand, trees, or rather, the glaring lack of them in this city. I met with two guests who know a lot about this subject. First, I met with Sandra Hoy, by the lakes in Copenhagen. We sat on a bench by the water, with lots of passers-by, birdsong, which is almost becoming a theme in this podcast, and even some quacking ducks. Sandra is on a mission to, quite simply, save the trees. Her energy is contagious. Her passion is remarkable. But for Sandra, it all started in 2009 with a cool blog, Classic Copenhagen.
1: I started the blog because I wanted to tell people Copenhagen is not that bad. And then it, it sort of, for a while it was that, and then it turned around and went, it's not that great either, you know. So it's, uh, it's, uh, now, because now we're sort of being swarmed with people who think it's just, oh, it's got fantastic, it's so green, and
0: pfft, you know. And then the uh, and Green smoke, I call it. Uh, Green smoking. Wait, there's greenwashing, now there's no, green, it's green smoke.
1: Green smoke is when you're like, hey, blah, blah, you know it's not, but it just looks
0: really well when you, you know, it looks good when you say it. So from the blog, Classic Copenhagen 2009, things changed for you? Well, yes, I, w- I was,
1: was spotting a lot of street art at the time. And through, uh, you know, this is <laughs> awakening. So I, 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 I realized when I started looking, really looking at my city that I had been uh, unlooking for a long time. There were a lot of things I missed. And so, so I, I started with really seeing, spotting street art, taking pictures, sharing. And then uh, other things crept in. Because once you take the filter off, you see everything. Not just street art, but, but other things. And then I started to, to, um, to notice, um, for instance, the garbage situation nearby where we're sitting right now. is um, that people were throwing uh, cups all over the place. And I was, I was getting very irritating with that, and you know, at one point I found myself like yelling at people, ah, pick up after yourself, you know, and, <laughs> and I went home and I had a conversation with myself, I was like listen, this, this is no good, but I also realized that it annoyed me so much, and that that actually was a problem, so I, I've, I'm, I came up with a solution, and I made some, uh, I call it the test tubes, which is, which is like an accessory to the garbage can, it's a tube that I screwed on and I put on it, uh, you know, stack your cups here and just throw the lids in the in the garbage because then, you know, they were also overflowing and it was not handled well by the city well. The first one was just like a poster tube, one of those cardboard things. I painted it the same color so it would not look ugly. I painted the same color as the garbage can and I, I, I painted the words on it, you know, uh, it's empty cups here and, and I, an arrow to the lids. And people instantly, they got it, they just thought, yeah, of course, they were stacking them at the side and... The lids went in the garbage, and there was no, around, you know, for a whole week. I just went by and took pictures, and I noticed that it really instantly made a difference. The city just uh, took it down, and I put I put the story on my blog with the results, and then it just went crazy from there. I got, I, you know, Atlantic Cities did a story about it, and uh, Unconsumption did a story. It was just like it went viral, and they all because because the city wouldn't respond to my request. You know, to, can we make a test out of this? And then it became so embarrassing for the city because they never responded to me. And that was so obvious with all the viral... They they all ended with, yeah, they don't want to listen to her, but we know it works, you know. So they contacted me and said, okay, let's make a dummy then. And they were just dragging their feet. They were very reluctant. They were forced to do it. We put up the the test tubes in in an aluminum thing they made and, uh, and it worked. And when they took them down after the test was over, they said, we don't have a cop litter problem, and they just ignored it again.
0: We don't have a cop litter problem. Yes. <laughs> every every country in the world, in the Western world, I anyway, has s- a cop litter
1: problem. And I, in. S- <laughs> and I, I call it now copen, we don't have a cop litter problem, Hayden, <laughs> when I talk about it. And then it's the test too you know. That's tubes, a really big you know. T-shirt, yeah. I know, and, but it's... it's um, I wanted to, to go back and do something else again because people write me now that they do it all over the world. They, they sort of adapt to the idea and, and it works and, and uh, there's, there's someone who did a big football stadium. They were really happy with the results stacking their beer cups and so it works. Totally works but, the, but you know we don't need it here because we don't have that problem
0: obviously. I remember that. That was super cool. Yeah. Um, I remember it going viral and you know taking photos of it myself. <laughs> Simple solution man. Simple Danish yeah. design right? But now Sandra come on when you get out of bed every single morning for the last few years there's been one thing on your mind yes trees yes that's it that's a big one that's why
1: I didn't get around to more of the the trash situation like you have to pick your battles and this is mine don't totally mine
0: I call you the crazy tree lady, right? I know, with affection, of course. But you just
1: crazy like a heart attack, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, but I I mean, you know, having known you for so many years, I mean, this is just really your primary focus. I know you do other stuff, right? But I mean, what what you got to tell me how the hell that happened? Like, what was the catalyst for it? All of a sudden, you're thinking (coughs) really passionately about the trees in Copenhagen and the green canopy and all of that. What happened?
1: What happened It was, actually, across from where we were sitting, over here on the other side, There was um, I, w- I was watching uh, huge piles of a very old tree cut into pieces and left on the side f- to be picked up. And at that point, I'd, I had not realized how much I loved trees. I always loved trees, but I was not aware of it, which I think is true for everyone. But at that point, that that was the turning point for me. I saw this tree, and I stopped my bike, and I just sobbed. And the whole day, I felt like I was in mourning. It was really terrible. And I went home and wrote about it online on the Twitter thing. I had this Twitter account at the point. And I I realized, oh, that really made an impression on me. That's weird. I became aware of, of how I take trees for granted and how happy they make me. And then shortly after, I realized all the trees on all the corners. It's four big corners on the bridge where there are bunkers. From the World War, you know, they built these bunkers. The trees, huge old trees, are grown into these constructions. And and I found out that within a few weeks, the city had decided, in the wisdom, to just uh, demolish all the bunkers by that also felling all the trees because the, the the root system would be entangled. And then uh, we would just get some uh, some green squares that they could you know let out or whatever the plan was. And it was going to cost a fortune, of course. But they were the, the thing was that they were going to destroy. All the, all these uh, trees, and then that was that that um, uh, that I thought I cannot let that happen so i, I on my blog again i i um, I asked street artists and I said, Can you please go adopt the tree, decorate it any way you want let 's make some action let let's let 's put some focus on these trees and tell people this is what 's about to happen and they did and and we just and we opened this um Facebook friend Jenny and me we opened this Facebook uh, group first for me on Facebook and I you know say save the the bunkers mm-hmm. and 850 people signed up in one day and the media were like what was it these
0: bunkers yes, on the other side these, of the all these all
1: these all these four corners yeah. well this one doesn't have bunkers but i guess they would flatten it just for looks yeah or at least three corners with huge old trees the only healthy trees we have in Copenhagen pretty much so <laughs> and they uh, and the, and the media was so surprised that so many people signed up so fast for this, and they're like, "Oh, let's write about it then." And then when the media started writing about it, the politicians got really antsy, you know, and put a hold to it. And then they they asked the local councils to to make a question, you know, questionnaire. Just just they stood, they they asked people they knew, and everybody was asking everybody, "What do you think about this?" And it turned out that nine out of ten Copenhageners wanted to preserve these areas, you know save the money and, and keep it as it is so they did it took about a year and then, then you know that was, that was sort of the starting point for me because then I realized okay, if this can happen if they could fill all these trees for no good reason what else are they doing and then I started looking and then I found out what's going on and it's you know it's there's no I can't even explain how bad it is in Copenhagen and people are like oh it's so green it's, it's a disaster zone
0: you cried over a tree being chopped up this is like a Hollywood film starting here, right? That was
1: sort of like the awareness uh, that happened. And then uh, like Aaron
0: Brockovich, right? That, one little but thing I, happened I don't and know, then...
1: I don't know. Can you compare me to anything? I don't know. It's, it, it was just like the loss of one tree made a huge difference. And then finding out that the rest were going to go as well. And I knew multiply that sorrow by all of them, that would not be... Uh, I could not pass this corner again if they were gone.
0: But you could have had your little cry... Go home and thought, yeah, that sucks, and yeah, then if, not if think it, about it anymore. But you if did, it didn't
1: feel like a death of a family member, yes, I probably could have. But I, but it really hit me hard. Yeah, and then with, uh, yeah, no, I could not leave that be. No, that was that was really like but it's a life thing, and indeed, me, you know, I really felt
0: that loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was your catalyst, and yeah. then that really has has. Accelerated over the past few years. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is really all you ever write about on Facebook. And I know. And whatnot, I get you right? know.
1: I cannot even crazy stand myself lady. sometimes. Yeah. Well, um, it, it turns out that I'm not so crazy after all. You know. Yeah, we know, we know that. We right? know that. Yeah. It's no. It, it, it then came from the bunkers and moved on to save the urban trees. which is the Danish name for it. So that yeah, that's uh, that. It became like a, a citizens' movement focused on on what is happening to the urban trees.
0: I remember when you started with your tree thing. I remember I sent you all these aerial photos from the Second World War. Yeah. Because I kind of, you know, when your friends do something, you kind of like wander into it with them and sort of, you know, yes, get into it, what, what, what their issue is. And I remember, like, hey, Sandra, look at this link here. Yeah. Uh, look at this so green. amazing trees in Copenhagen. Uh, yeah, My uh, God, this was so foliage rich. Um, the green canopy was, was epic yeah. uh, back in the, in the years after the war. Now, I have friends who come and visit, and they're saying, "Oh, yeah, like literally, where they are notice? your trees?" They like, notice. Yeah, people notice, man. So nice. Um, and so, I mean, what happened between uh, you know the nineteen sixties and nineteen uh, fifties in Denmark and today?
1: It's, it's, it's thoughtlessness. They they are not aware of the importance. Uh, there was there was uh, when I talked to some of the gardeners, they say in the eighties there was really they handled it wrong, so they they made the conditions bad for a lot of the trees. I don't. Is is what is still is. I think the attitude is what it's always been. Today, it's not like they learned anything. They haven't. They they still do what they've done since the 50s, and this is why we still lose trees. This speed we're doing. They are they are planning. Their trees occupy space that you can use for building. So they will uh, they will. If there are pockets between houses with one or two trees, it's like oh that's not occupied by anything. It's flat little thing, and then they just they cut down precious trees. You know. To uh, to build another house, another office building. Um, if if they want to do a road, the first thing they do is to take the trees away. Because then they would rather take the trees away than they would eat into the lanes of the cars. Even if it's they have four lanes, they would rather eat into the pedestrian area and the, you know the recreational space. So even now, when you have uh, when you plant cycle cycle lanes, which is something you're also really excited about, they would put them in the green paths, which is nice. But they 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 just find any excuse to just put it into take it from take it from nature, you know, and and, and leave the cars be. Because let's not mess with parking spaces. Let's not mess with with the, with the lanes that they drive in. You know, there's, there's this whole uh, let's not touch that area. Everybody can agree that we should have the bike lanes that put them in the green stuff, you know, and, and call it something nice. We'll brand it, we'll spin it.
0: Now, I remember a quote from somebody in the police department who were involved in the redesign of some square somewhere, and uh, people, or maybe even you, I can't remember even when it was, uh, talking about, yeah, but the trees, are going to say, you know, they'll cut down those nice trees, and some cops said, uh, now there's a reason the chainsaw was invented. Like, boom. Oh, you don't know this? I thought, I thought no, uh, but it
1: doesn't surprise me. But I talked to the police for like, for like almost an hour. I talked to one of the guys who decided that instead of putting the bike lane next to the trees, we've got to flatten the trees and make some nice parking spots as well. And and it was all the judgment was because of behavior, because anticipated behavior from, from drivers. We're not going to do what you suggest. Because even though the cars are not allowed to stand still and, and unload stuff, we know they will. Which will cause cyclists to swerve and na no, na no, na. No. So we're just gonna flatten the trees and then, uh, you know. So they just removed a, a big row of trees.
0: I mean, there is science. There are standards. There are things that we know about how to design a road or a cycle track. Um, I mean, but I, I'm not saying it has to dictate the trees. No, but, but mean- they don't
1: know because I'm I'm am t- talking to this police guy who's who's in charge of these decisions. And and I uh, have have. Are you even aware that there there's research showing that that uh, traffic planners all over the world actually use trees? Constructively to to like, lower the speed and uh, create these safe spaces, and he never heard of it. He's like, oh, duh. oh
0: dude. I mean, like, uh, I, I've had this with the police too about uh, like uh, bicycle behavior and everything. Oh my god. They, I mean, they don't. They know. They can read. They can. They, they know the laws, and that's all they know. If you're the protagonist in this tale, who are your main antagonists? Who uh, who do you who pisses you off the most when you wake up in the morning and go, oh, you know? I mean. How do you define? It's, it's this define fat, your enemies, Sandra.
1: It's this fat layer of uh, administration. It's it's between it's between the the people who know about trees, who work with trees, who uh, who uh, you know get by with what they're given, and the politicians. They're actually some very uh, good politicians who fight the good fight. And then there's a whole department between them, like layers and layers and layers of all kinds of with their own little agenda, and we want to do things like we always did. And... And they are, they so are actually. I guess, yeah. but but they are. I mean, I. Uh, there's an example with the tree with the uh, salting business. For, uh, there was the. It became very obvious what the how much damage salt was causing to the trees, and I had some politicians who were willing to to go forward and propose that we, we spend more money on the alternative. And then. Uh, he, went, he came back to me and he said, you know what, we are told from the administration that, that salt is no big deal. It flushes out in the sea and uh, it doesn't harm anything. I'm like, Excuse, is that what you're told? Can that be? And I talked to even the Lord Mayor was out because he, want, he was campaigning to be re-elected, And I was so lucky to run into him. And, uh, and I asked him to, to fill out a questionnaire if he would be so kind. And he did. And he replied what he was told from the administration, that it flushes out the sea and it's no big deal. And I was like, oh my God, these people are lying. To the, the people in charge, why, why is that? So we actually unravel this whole thing a, a really good journalist he sat down he was like let's let's get to the bottom of this and he made them admit publicly, yeah, okay, salt is a very nasty business, it's just, uh, you know... <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops, oops. But they've been actively lying for years, just to, to I don't know, to, to balance budgets. I don't know what the reason would be to lie about something so serious, but it puts the politicians in a shitty light when they don't have all the information at hand, and that is a big, big problem in the in the, in the situation with the Copenhagen trees. It's the fat layer in between, who's so busy keeping uh, their budgets and the jobs and status quo, you know.
0: Okay, so bureaucracy, this... Fat layer in, uh, yeah. in the in the the well the monster that is the city of Copenhagen. I mean, they have like fifty thousand employees. They're uh, they Denmark's do? largest ah, uh, employer. I'm not surprised. It's
1: like a, it's like fighting a, a giant octopus. I feel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've heard the the description of some departments as in the city of Copenhagen as uh, like, like island kingdoms, and everybody there's a chieftain on each island who has yeah. his own agenda, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. you're supposed to be all working together, man. But uh, anyway, so that does it doesn't surprise me. It sounds like it's much more complex they're
1: dangerous they're super dangerous enemies so it's very hard for me to I have to keep so many things secret because people are people are stand to lose jobs and you know that's so it's so dangerous to be enemies with these uh, kings of the islands yeah, yeah it really is
0: so that I mean is that your primary that's not fun you know you want an antagonist no. that has a face that we can name in the podcast but you're just saying it's like layers of uh, danish bureaucracy that is it's,
1: no it's that and it's also it's also the reluctance to you uh, know it's, it's also politicians who decide that it's more important to line the pockets of the people who have the money already you know building let's give them permission to build whatever they want let's just it's, it's just a formality everything everything protecting trees it's like bumps on the road or formalities are annoying. You know, they they actually say so on you know their quote is saying so in the news, like defending people who want to destroy the city. Why do they need to destroy a city? Oh, listen, they have to because otherwise they can't build. And it's like this is not your job. You're representing me. You're not representing the you know the uh, developer. Yeah. But it, it's it's I don't know. It's 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 very it smells. It does smell a lot. There are a lot of politicians who seem to be favoring. You know people who have money already like a small group of people who want to invest and develop and yeah
0: so when i'm shooting the life-size city and we're traveling around the world this subject comes up uh in our in our research and also in many of the cities we talk to people who are doing something similar the other versions of sandra uh around the world um it really is an interesting topic because we're learning much more about it nowadays right like it's the stuff that i've read in in connection with the the research for the TV series It it's just fascinating and how we're measuring green canopy Mm. you know uh, some of the what was I Bangkok you know they have like something like three square meters of green per person like it's a shockingly low number other cities are uh, are are much higher when you look at the where Copenhagen ranks uh, for, for being a green city it looks pretty good but that's because we have huge parks sort of within the city limits and that's calculated as green space it's not on all of our streets like i you know uh since i've known you i've noticed man we don't have any trees on our streets yeah, i'm anymore. so
1: happy people notice now i'm really happy that this is one of the benefits of, of what we're doing is like it's, it's this huge movement it's seven years now or something but it really has put it on the radar and i know there's a lot of people really grateful that that there's so much mention of trees now because it sneaks in and, and it, I do see improvement but not as much as I would like.
0: The one woman I interviewed in Bangkok, Oraya, um, whatever, an arborist I believe, anyway, university educated, she's basically the Sandra in Bangkok. One of the greatest quotes in so far three seasons of shooting the Size City was her. I'm saying, well, you know, we've come to the point where we can't trust the city with taking care of the city anymore boom <laughs> that was just like the greatest <laughs> that's the favorite quote, quote yeah delivered with this dry smile that he has it yeah. was so awesome
1: it applies to Copenhagen
0: as well yeah well that's what I'm going to ask I mean so they're educating the city workers just the dudes who go out and t- cut trees to teach them how to do it well what's that level like here in Copenhagen do your average Joes who go out and uh, uh, have to trim the trees for the city do they know what they're doing
1: uh, the, the thing is that the city is outsourcing this a lot a, of stuff.
0: This is a podcast, so we can't see all of your facial reactions. Like You're, no, no. Your you're like, oh, you're face palming <laughs> yourself. Sometimes you I'm face
1: palming <laughs> at this point. It's uh, the city is outsourcing a lot of stuff, and there's actually a bean counter company who's been in now and say we can save a lot of money. We just outsourced everything. You know, all the green stuff can be outsourced. And what they're doing now is that once once you say we haven't, we have a job here have to to have some trees pruned or whatever the city is by law obligated to pick the, the the lowest bidder, and that means you get you know the lowest quality that it it sort of you know follows some
0: dude with a chainsaw
1: <laughs> so we get fucking dudes with chainsaws, and we just now just now out here on on, uh, on the school area, they had like fifteen to twenty trees cut completely pieces to pieces it was like a huge canopy uh, cover at this very corner and we don't have a lot in Copenhagen of those areas so, so we rely on the schools and the churches and the stuff to provide that there's yeah. a freedom of information act and I've, I've uh, asked now to see who, you know, why would, would you would you uh, have this done uh, what, what were the criteria you picked the, the people who did this misery for and, and are you going to have it um, are you going to be uh, compensated because these trees, everybody who sees these trees know about trees says they will never bloom again so there's like 15 huge trees that are killed by incompetence, and it's 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 uh, it's one department in the city. It's not the tree department, but it's another department. That's another misery that they are spreading it out. So I wrote them and I said I would like to see who said these trees needed this treatment, and will you also seek uh, compensation for this? So uh, I'm in the process of that now to see uh, what's the answer to that. But, but so to answer your question, yes. So there's a lot of people who are not. You know, who are hired from from, you know from the outside, who don't know what they're doing with trees.
0: Yeah,
2: they're
1: destroying them.
0: You'd think we were better at that in Copenhagen. I mean, the city generally, compared to other cities in the world, is well run, well managed. uh, You know, maybe too much bureaucracy on many levels, but it's kind of weird that it's just one big fail uh, in Copenhagen. They also had
1: good people. I mean, they do have good people. They have some gardeners, you know, on staff that are really good at what they're doing, and they have uh, and they do hire really good arborists as well so there, there are good forces it's not just everything is being plowed down but there's there are just some very tragic examples of uh, how this system is, is failing but of course there are also some people who do it really well who maintain the trees and, and you know what, in the area we're sitting in right now there are some, some nice people taking care of the trees who love trees and, and want the best for them but they are up against I don't know if you can see from here there's this um the lakes have become so popular; people are running around and stuff. So, so they need they need a, a, a life-extending care plan for the trees now. It's about a million and a half Danish crowns. It's, it's so in the budget of a city, it's nothing. But they won't grant it. So, what happens is when the trees start losing branches, um, they're gonna cut them all down because they're a, a danger to the people. A life, uh, ex, you know, an enhancing plan would would mean that they could go in and monitor them, cut dangerous branch itself if there should be any you know and just keep them alive for longer but they, they don't want to spend this stupid little amount
0: for I mean, the for negative a, impact of having to chop down those trees like you know uh, yeah. cleaning the air quality along the lakes uh, the whole aesthetics I mean it seems yeah. like that is a, a massive loss uh, measurable and maybe not so measurable but still important um, and uh, one and a half million—that's like nothing here, man. It's, 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 you know, so three, it's a
1: three-year plan for all of the trees around the lakes, and it's like three, four lakes or something. But they, yeah, they're refusing that. So we, we put up a petition last year, and some people signed it. But yeah, people give up. They're like, oh, you know, it's when when you run a movement, you want to encourage people, and you want you want to bring some good news sometimes. And if it's just one big vortex of bad news, and you know, sucks you down, you just don't want to deal with it. So you have to be—you have to select. It's, it's uh, oh my god, at the moment it's just like I have to step away from the trees because they're killing me, you know. Keeping them alive is really hard.
0: Keeping trees alive is killing me. Yes, <laughs> sometimes it is. That's the tagline for our Hollywood film. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Keeping trees alive almost killed her. I know a lot of cities have an official tree policy. Mm. Do we have that in Copenhagen?
1: We had one last year because of
0: the work we oh, did. just last year? <laughs> yes, I think last
1: year or the year before that, something like that. I'm just, I'm not... You know, that that was, again, some of the politicians who, who want the trees. They suggested, they, they put up a suggestion, can we get a tree policy?
0: And the others That's were like, yeah. That's because of you, right?
1: That's because of the work we do Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah.
0: It that is. Oh, and, but we don't, like, I mean, I look at other cities' tree policies. They're super detailed. They're uh, very comprehensive. The only way we'd get one, the only way everybody would get on board was if
1: it had no teeth. So it's sort of like a pretty, pretty word now. It's a pretty, pretty thing we have. A tree policy It doesn't have teeth, but in order to even get it, we had to we had to start soft. And now the, the job is just to like to, to, to squeeze in uh, the things that matter, so we can protect the trees from that. But yeah, up until last year we didn't have a tree policy. A year before that.
0: Which is also another weird thing about oh Copenhagen. So you know. green. Uh, but I live in Fredericksburg. Yeah. and you obviously know where that is. But so it is lucky. A, it is a city that is in the middle of Copenhagen, surrounded on all sides by Copenhagen. Now, they have a tree policy I discovered because I know you. Uh, I have to be able to see a tree from a window in my house. I should be able to look out any window, I guess not any window, but a window on both sides and be able to see a tree. Out front, I have to lean out Mm. and look down the road, but I can see one. And my backyard is amazing, so that's fine, right? But um, that's just kind of weird that, you know, Fredericksburg... As a tree policy, and
1: they do everything right. Yeah. Everything. It's just so fantastic. Every year when they come up with a new budget, it's like they put something in there to enhance the policy to, ah, to do more. It's like they're gonna up, they're gonna upgrade the education for people who work with trees. They're gonna they're gonna protect trees in traffic. We don't do that here either. They're run down, destroyed all the time. There, there, are like so many, so many things in place to to make sure that the trees are thriving and existing trees as well planting more. It's, uh, just, it's like, oh, uh, it's so nice. If I just when I get down, I go to Fredericksburg and look around, it's like, oh, they're still good in the world. They know how.
0: Trees are actually something that many different departments in the city have to deal with. Traffic department has to deal with trees because they've got to build more bike lanes or, uh, or roads or new asphalt or whatever. Uh, you know, the landscape department obviously trees are a part of what they're doing. Uh, it, it seems like so many different departments have something to do with trees. Is that, is that what makes it difficult to have any kind of solid policy on it? I mean, when,
1: when they plan a road design, they don't invite the gardeners on board to ask, what are the needs of the trees? How do we work around them? They do what they do. If they want to leave the trees, they leave the trees, but they don't protect the root zone at all. So they make they may uh, leave the thing and then the, the gardeners come in and try to, to uh, damage control, you know, uh,
0: give them some extra water, but
1: it's not something that's planned in, in uh, unison.
0: Well, that's in a way my question, right? Like uh. Uh, Anybody can just mess with trees because it's in their, it's in their yeah. ballpark. It's oh, in the I'm way. making roads here, so I, that tree's in the way, I can remove it. I don't have to ask the tree department because we don't have one. Basically a tree department. Would that be a good thing? Yes. Uh, urban tree
1: officers that what they have in other cities. Like Stockholm has one urban tree officer. That's what we need. Someone who speaks for the trees. I mean Copenhagen is a big city. And it's it's supposed to be green, but we don't have a head of uh, of tree. I mean that's crazy.
0: But you feel like you're getting the message through. I think you are obviously with the success. Yes, I'm yes. But do you ever Um, run run into that kind of like oh god we have to talk about trees?
1: No, I, I I do get this um, anxiety from them. When I call them on the phone and I say who I am, I can feel the tension. I'm told I'm told by the by the people who are on the inside that it's it's not a nice thing to be on my radar. They would avoid that at all
0: costs. A lot of this is. Perhaps what we're kind of good at in Copenhagen and what we see more and more around the world, citizen engagement. One citizen just gets pissed off one day and says, who do I talk to about this? And then you've been doing it for seven years. But, I mean, do you think that we could engage the citizens of Copenhagen who who live in this very well-managed city? We don't have to really complain about too much here, you know, compared to other cities. Do you think you could engage them in in this subject even more? Like, where do you where do you go from here? What's the next level for for broadcasting uh, this issue? Uh, there's
1: there are a lot of ways to go, uh, durations to take. It, it a lot of it takes funding. Yeah. So th- there there's this one thing that would be able to where people would be able to participate actively, where it's not just one informing them of what's you know what's the next disaster ahead. But people are, I mean, right now, we're about 4,000 people working for the trees. Well, not working, but voting for the trees, we'll say. So, so if I put something up on Facebook, there are 4,000 people following the group who, who, could, uh, who each have their network of people. And then there are the a lot Urban of, uh, Tree Army. Yeah, but something happened fantastic last year. we Redbyen's uh, Træer was awarded the the tree, the, the tree award. University of Copenhagen. There's, There's no <laughs> <laughs> What are you telling They're me? Actually, <laughs> no. I'm telling you that it usually goes to entire um, s- cities. Um, oh, okay, yeah. It goes to the slots students okay. and uh, it goes to the big departments. It goes. It's the first time they ever gave it to a citizens movement, so that's a big deal.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, nice. it went it went to a whole city the last time. For time before that, but uh, yeah. So that actually put. Uh, the movement on the radar and, and made it harder for the city to escape. I have a feeling that the tree movement that has become very big and very powerful in its own way in the last seven years is, is, has the potential to explode and become very, very big and, and make a huge difference. I really do believe that. Uh, but it's uphill with Copenhagen still. It's going to take maybe another five, ten years before we get the results that we're asking
0: for today. We can do things quicker here. Come on. I mean, that, You know I mean? Like... We couldn't. It's, it's totally doable. Yeah. It is not a priority. Yeah, yeah. And it's I think
1: it will yeah. only be handled properly when it becomes a national embarrassment. So
0: we needed to go yeah, to that yeah. level. That's the next level. We gotta that's the next you, level. national embarrassment. We gotta humiliate you for how wrong you do everything. Dude, if that yeah. works, that's what we need to do. If someone is capable of doing it, man, it's Sandra. I let her get back to her barricades built with an ample supply of wood from felled Copenhagen trees, of course, to continue fighting the good fight, fighting together with the 4,000 other citizens in her urban tree army for not just each and every tree, but awareness of the importance of having a green city, an actual green city, not the brand of a green city. I hopped on my bike and rode back to my flat to meet my next guest in my back courtyard. Natalie Gulswell is an associate professor at the University of Copenhagen in landscape, architecture, and planning. Even if we don't think about it that often, caring for urban trees is pretty intuitive. It's sometimes a part of my own work in urbanism, but I knew that I needed to talk to an expert about all this. I needed to learn so much more. And I knew Natalie was exactly the right person to give me all the academic dirt about the importance of urban trees. We started with the basics. Why are trees and green spaces important in a city?
2: Well, I think that all of us can kind of recognize the the value of sitting under a shady tree on a hot day. or if we think back to our childhood, most of us can remember the tree that we really liked a lot. And if we kind of transfer those ideas into an urban context, We know that cities are getting warmer and warmer in the summer. We experienced that this past summer in Copenhagen. But there's just global trends where temperatures are going up, and cities are hot spots for that. There's something called the urban heat island effect, where when you have a lot of asphalt and concrete and reflective surfaces, that they heat up and they maintain the heat. They hold on to it, so at nighttime the temperature doesn't go down. Trees actually help combat that. So when we have more trees and we have more biophysical spaces, meaning also grass and shrubs and permeable surfaces, we can, on heat maps, we can see that those areas cool down at night and actually um, provide a lot of um, shading effects and cooling effects in cities. And that's something called uh, ecosystem services, where we start to talk about the benefits of trees in terms of absorbing uh, rainwater, Um, cleaning the air from air pollution, providing shade and cooling effects, but also providing something called cultural ecosystem services, which goes back to that memory of a tree that we maybe have from our childhood. So that inherent connection that we have with trees, whether it's memories uh, or the ability to climb the tree and the enjoyment that we get out of it, Um, the beauty of the tree. Some people have spiritual connections to the tree, and there's a lot of talk about how trees help in kind of therapeutic sense in terms of healing. So there's all sorts of scientific arguments that show us why trees are really important. And then I think just intuitively, we kind of understand that trees provide a lot of joy and uh, provide a lot of aesthetic benefits.
0: Doing some research for this I found uh, somewhere, and I can't remember right now, but uh, where they gave trees an email Mm. So you could go mm-hmm. and email it, and I don't know if it's called tree mail, if it's not, it should be called tree mail. And it was just an overwhelming response. This is that emotional connection that we all have uh, exactly. to trees without even actually knowing it until, hey, I can send an email to that tree, right? I mean, is that what you're talking about, this kind of undefinable, unmeasurable, but still uh, existing uh, connection?
2: Yeah, Yeah. So that actually what you're talking about is the city of Melbourne in Australia. Um, They were going through a lot of challenges because Melbourne is actually one of the places in the world that gets super hot in the summer. And there's been a lot of deaths associated with the heat in the city. So the city has actively been working to cool down ground surfaces and to reduce the temperature to reduce heat-related deaths, but also just to increase the livability of the city. And they've been focusing on trees in order to do that. So they have this really great urban forest strategy. Yet anybody who's worked in urban planning or kind of understands how cities work knows that everything becomes kind of a political fight, right? There's always a fight over space. And trees are tricky because they take a long time to grow. So you can't just like plan a forest and make it happen overnight. It's a long-term strategy. And in order to do that, you not only need to have politicians on board, but you also have, have to have citizens on board. So the short story is that in order to kind of deal with these questions of value, what kind of trees would we like to have and how do we want it to look in the future, the city of Melbourne started mapping out their trees and um, using those kind of geo-based codes, they assigned email addresses to every single publicly owned tree. And what they actually expected was sort of complaints from citizens because if you ask municipal uh, workers who work with trees or who work with green spaces gardens, they're oftentimes overwhelmed by complaints. They don't get the good stories. So they hear about the tree branch that fell on somebody's car or the fact that leaves are all over the sidewalk and it makes it slippery. Um, So this is what the city was expecting, actually. And they thought it was like kind of a nice administrative, communicative tool that citizens could send an email about a tree.
0: It's like, let's get some feedback. Let's get
2: some feedback, exactly. But what they ended up getting was this overwhelming response Mm. in terms of people's connections to the tree. So it started out as kind of um, a light uh, topic where people would send trees uh, kind of jokey emails And then tourists started responding and started sending kind of love letters. And then children started sending love letters to the trees as well. And then there was this whole process in terms of realizing that many of the trees, because of a long-term drought in the city, were dying, that people started kind of grieving for the trees through these emails. And it's a really, really, really beautiful data set that I've actually worked with as a researcher to try to understand these cultural ecosystem services or cultural values, which can be very diverse, that are connected to the trees. And what happened in a political context is that the politicians were able to see, whoa, our trees are not only just important for kind of instrumental purposes of lowering the heat and making our city kind of a safer place, but they're extremely important in terms of people's connection to place and their sense of identity, their feeling of neighborhood, and their feeling of community. And that was extremely powerful.
0: Now, I've lived in Melbourne, and years ago, but still in my mind's eye, sitting here, I seem to recall trees. I seem to recall that it was a rather green city. Now we live here in Copenhagen, and I'm learning that we have a very different approach to trees. We don't really, you know, regard trees in the same way as other places. If if we're going to redesign a public space... Uh, The trees are the first to go, and then it's like this beautiful Danish design left behind, but Mm. with just some saplings uh, Mm. growing there. Mm. Why do you think this city and in this country, we have this really kind of of out-of-whack relationship with trees, considering the fact that we're more environmentally aware than, than many other places?
2: I think that's a really good question. And I think in order to answer that, we have to kind of think about it from different perspectives. So the first thing we can start thinking about is... Our cultural heritage in Denmark is quite different than the cultural heritage in an Australian context or anywhere else. So in a Danish context, what we can think about is that our forefathers were fishermen and were farmers and many other things. But those are kind of the two dominant sort of professions you can think of in a Danish context. And neither of those cultural practices really prioritize trees. So when you're a farmer, you might want a few trees to make sure that your soil doesn't erode. When you're a fisherman, you might need a tree or two to build your ship mast or to build your boat, but that was that. Um, And so when it comes down to it, specifically in a more modern context in Denmark, we have a very utilitarian perception of nature. We think about what nature can give back to us and how we can use it most efficiently. And in an urban context where we're really kind of pressed for thinking about how we're going to use the space best, trees don't necessarily always fit into that picture. And they specifically don't fit into it within short-term political decision-making periods. So, while well, Frank Jensen, our mayor in Copenhagen, really wants to have a green city. And when you listen to him and read his, his policies, you can see that he wants to prioritize actually trees and biophysical aspects. But there's a lot of mismatches in terms of prioritizing kind of the compact city Prioritizing green growth, which oftentimes means energy-efficient buildings, or um, green jobs, um, or even, you know, pavement for bicycle infrastructure, you run into conflicts when you also want to have biophysical materials such as trees, which take 30 to 50 to 80 to 100 years to grow. And I think in Copenhagen, we do want to have more trees. I mean, we have an urban tree policy that shows that we have heritage trees. We know that citizens here don't actually consider a tree to be a tree until it's 15 years old. So those newly planted saplings that we see all around town in the new urban developments, those don't have values to citizens. And they don't really have value to biodiversity or to ecosystems either. They're they're quite young and immature. So we need to figure out in a Danish context and specifically here in Copenhagen how to kind of realign these different timelines and these different priorities within a green infrastructure or kind of green political context. And that's, of course, the struggle.
0: When did we get a tree policy?
2: We got a tree policy back in 2016.
0: Okay, so, but I was talking to Sandra about it, mm-hmm. and she says, Yeah, there's kind of a tree policy, um, but the, it's really wild, I think, that we never had one before 2016. Right. You know, oh, the eco friendly capital, and all. Right. everybody looks to us for all these great things. And, right. you know, we are in Fredericksburg right now, separate city in the heart of Copenhagen, and mm. we have a tree policy here. Right. Um, it says, I think, somewhere that I have to be able to look out a window in my apartment and see a tree. Like, it's kind of a nice, you know, uh intuitive kind of policy you just gotta see one man and uh, i can well obviously my backyard's filled but i mean out the front if i lean out the window i can look farther down and i see a tree sticking out like a canopy why did it take so long to get a tree policy here? Is was this sandra basically or uh, was it sort of a general awareness? I
2: think it's a really good question. So in a Danish context, um, when we think about planning and and land use management, we've had a system where we've really trusted public officials for a very long time to kind of deliver upon their expertise. And that doesn't mean that it's been a top-down system per se, but citizens have been consulted in a sense of kind of like, what color of bench would you like, or what kind of playground would you like? But in terms of maintaining our gardens and our parks and our trees, we've oftentimes had gardeners and, and experts involved with it. So I think that from a systematic perspective there hasn't necessarily been a need to have these kind of protective measures because we've always had experts and gardeners built into the system. More recently even though Copenhagen has taken on this green city profile there's been budgetary cutbacks uh, in put in by the state not necessarily by the city that have reduced the amount of money we can use on overall infrastructure and when you start reducing budgets, it can tell you green spaces and trees are the first to kind of go out the window and to lose their funding. So new kind of struggles have come to light in the municipality over the last 10 years, specifically as the city has been undergoing huge kind of um, building changes. You know, the, the most changes are happening in the built environment here in Copenhagen since the 16th century. We're building and building and building. So those things in combination have kind of raised a lot of angst, you could say, amongst citizens, Sandra being probably the most vocal. But many citizens have started writing into the municipality and really um, voicing their concern and their distress over the fact that so many trees have been cleared out and not many trees have been planted, or at least trees that they value. Because as I said before, when you see a sapling, you don't necessarily value it. It doesn't have the same impact as a fully grown tree does. So once again, it goes back to this mismatch in terms of how a built environment develops, specifically when you're going for more compact, kind of climate efficient environment in a city, and how we actually use our space and what we start to prioritize within that green political agenda. The tree policy that we have now here from 2016, it does a very good job of kind of helping us work within a local planning context. So every district has a local plan that needs to be renewed every four years. And the rules within that local plan have to be respected. So you can't just cut down public trees. The weak spot in the tree policy is that it doesn't necessarily regulate private property. Or um, it's very easy for private developers to kind of go in and ask the city council for permission to remove trees. So the Carlsberg development is the most classic example where they had these gorgeous, huge trees, that some of them were 200 years old, that just got cleared out for new buildings, which many people don't really value, their aesthetic. So there's, there's a clear mismatch there in terms of what Carlsberg was promising in their original master plan and what they've actually delivered. They've been very much going with this kind of utilitarian value. We need to deliver efficiency. We need to deliver new apartments for all the people moving to Copenhagen. And we're planting a lot of saplings but those don't necessarily replace the old, gorgeous forest that was there beforehand. And the tree policy, unfortunately, hasn't had a lot of teeth in that context because the politicians in city council have prioritized growth over trees.
0: I'm wondering if there is uh, an issue with the city with, regarding trees. Let's, let's take like bicycle infrastructure. It is the traffic and environmental department who you know, build the cycle tracks and maintain them. Uh, They have to talk to public space department once in a while if they're gonna, you know, step over their line and uh, discuss that. But it's kind of all carved in stone. We know that it it has a massive value to have uh, bicycle infrastructure and the public health and everything. It seems to me, looking at this, that the the trees are sort of you know, their roots are in every department. You see my metaphor there? Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, the the police can come in and say, oh, we need the tree removed because of security, and uh, the public space department can also do what they want. And it seems like everybody can just sort of mess with the trees. There's no solid policy uh, to protect them, or, you know, there's no tree department, as as it were, which uh, in other cities there are, you know. Um, We have the environmental department, but there's nothing specific. So it seems like, you know, if you need to chop down a tree, depending on where you're coming from, you got a whole bunch of people to ask and you probably will get permission to do it, right? You know, there's no consensus about the value of that one tree or those five trees you're going to chop down. Is that your experience with the city?
2: I would say that what the municipality of Copenhagen is trying to do is that they're trying to deliver kind of what they consider to be public service or public good in the most efficient way. And just as in any other kind of larger organizations, they get reorganized every five to seven years. And so whereas... Ten years ago, there were folks who specifically were in charge of trees and arborists and, as I mentioned before, kind of experts that really knew what they were doing. Those folks get moved around quite frequently and um, have maybe less capacity to actually deliver upon their expertise and to deliver upon that promise for public good when it has to do specifically with trees. And then on top of that, we have incredible pressure upon the built environment here in Copenhagen now because there's uh, property is worth so much and there's more and more people moving to the city and there's kind of this mantra that a more dense city is a more climate-friendly city. And therefore there's trade-offs and trees are really kind of caught in the middle. And uh, for example, your backyard here, which is very verdant and open, and there's a lot of room for larger trees. Some people might argue that we should put a building here instead, because there would be more value by providing potentially affordable housing. We don't know if it would be affordable, but it could theoretically be affordable.
0: Wait a minute, all these backyards had buildings in them, They all had buildings, Um, right. And so we spent like the, you know, the 80s and the 90s tearing them down to create public space in the backyards, and so now there's pressure to put buildings up again?
2: Well, that's not necessarily happening here in Copenhagen, but Seattle, where I'm originally from, is now focusing on building kind of smaller units in people's backyards um, to kind of address the, the problem that housing has become so incredibly expensive and that there's not enough kind of density in the very sort of residential areas of Seattle. And that, of course, is putting a lot of pressure on the biophysical resources in people's backyards, these huge trees. And in the future, we could theoretically face that same issue here in Copenhagen or Fredericksburg, that as we're going, as we're, you know, sort of looking to become a more dense city, um, a more climate-resilient city, that we need to sort of think about building and using the uh, the space that we have in different ways. And uh, trees oftentimes don't get thought into that process. I mean, we could build a building around trees. We could include the tree in the architecture. That, of course, requires a bit more... Um, forward-thinking perspective, and it also really places demands on the building industry that they don't necessarily want to deal with. So there's there's ways in which we can understand how to use trees. We can look to a place like Singapore, for example. It is one of the most densely populated cities in the world, with over 6 million inhabitants, yet 50% of the built environment is biophysically green, meaning that they have actively prioritized trees and ecosystems, albeit many non-native species as well, which is up for debate in terms of biodiversity, yet it's a very verdant green place, and that's the first thing you notice when you land in the airport in Singapore, is that there's actually trees in the airport, they have a butterfly garden, they have a show of kind of all their um, tropical plants, it's a very beautiful, luscious experience to enter the country. Copenhagen can learn from a place like Singapore that is really, you know, incredibly dense, And you can talk about how much we want to build up in this city, but I think what we can take away from Singapore is the idea that they work very strategically with the private sector and specifically with developers um, through kind of... um, strong policy tools. So they have a a green master plan for the center of the city, which means that every new building needs to actually have green infrastructure built into it, whether it be a green wall, green roofs, a specific number of trees and shrubs outside of the building. And they have tax incentives for this. They have monetary incentives built into their environmental planning policy. And these are some of the the policy tools that I think we can transfer other places and learn from. And it would be, um, I think, considering the way that the Social Democrats, for example, kind of make decisions in city council where they prioritize kind of growth over biophysical green, you could say, time and time again, that they would probably really welcome kind of policy tools like this where we could incentivize putting in trees, and incentivize putting in green roofs and walls.
0: What does it take to get Copenhageners actually interested in this issue? Because I don't really think they are. Uh, there, there's no awareness about it.
2: Yeah. Well, I think there's there's many steps to it. So there was a survey that... Um, the municipality did back in 2015-2016 when they made the urban tree policy to kind of understand people's connections to trees and feelings associated with trees. And what they found out is that citizens really appreciate trees, they appreciate the full-grown trees, and there's a lot of citizens who have pointed out heritage trees. Yet, um, people move in and out of the city. So these kind of recollections of trees or attachment to trees can be for many people short-lived. Yet if I talk with folks who grew up in the city, they all remember the Dutch elms, the large luscious Dutch elms that were on every single big street here that unfortunately died out due to Dutch elm disease. And since then, many people have talked about Copenhagen as kind of a tree desert. So there's kind of a long-term and there's a short-term memory sort of thing. And I think by showing historic photos and by drawing on storytelling, we could do a lot to kind of discuss that narrative of the green city in Copenhagen. What kind of a green city do we want to have? Should it be an energy efficient city? Should it be a bicycle friendly city? Should it be a biophysical city? Uh, Do we need more trees? There's also something about light and Dane's sensitivity to shade. So everybody likes the ideas of the idea of a tree. So I always joke with my Danish friends that when they go to the summer house, they want to drink coffee and then they want to chop down trees. It's like what people do for their free time um, at the summer house, that they chop down the shrubs and the trees. And it's because they take away light, right? And Danes are obsessed with sunlight. And all of us who have spent a winter here in Copenhagen understand why. (laughs) But, But there's something about kind of understanding the diverse values associated with trees, and this can be done through storytelling. I mean, we have lots of opportunities to work with apps. We have opportunities to work with digital platforms to gather this information. We have opportunities to work with children and to draw pictures. We have opportunities to work with the elderly here to talk about the stories of what the boulevards look like when they were luscious and verdant and full of these large trees and kind of understand the values associated with that. Because when it all comes down to it, politicians want votes, right? And if people remember the value of trees when they're voting, they might vote differently. Um, So it's something about that in in kind of a holistic sense. In a short-term sense, I think we need to have more political incentives. We need to have stronger policy tools in order to ensure that the dense, climate resilient city that we're creating here in Copenhagen also has room for trees because trees don't just appear in two to four years it takes a long time to grow a forest and it takes a long time to grow a tree and we need to remember that and instill that timeline into our political system and there's also something about environmental education and stewardship you know, in a North American context where I'm from, this idea of caring for trees and caring for the forest is, is intuitive because our governments haven't always provided that that um, kind of structure. So we as citizens kind of easily take over that job and want to go out and care for a tree. That's kind of a newer concept in a Danish context where the government has always paid a much stronger role. But I think now as we're kind of dealing with these challenges of urbanization and increased urban density, we as citizens need to really take on that task of caring for the trees, of talking for the trees, of being the voice of the trees. And Sandra of course is a perfect example of how we can do that but we need to be many. We need to unite around the idea that our children should have trees, our grandchildren need trees, and the cities of the future if they're going to be climate resilient and provide not only kind of, you know, ecosystem services Um, but also just a sense of place, a sense of belonging. We need to have trees.
0: I'm guilty of a thought crime. (laughs) My apartment, the angle of it, I don't get morning light, maybe for about a month or two in the summer in the early morning, and then the sun disappears from my apartment. But then when it swings around here into the backyard, it goes straight into my apartment, and then the damn leaves. You know, Like, I want the direct sunlight. So I actually go, I would never dream about chopping the tree down, but I'm I'm still going, oh, I wish I could just have that direct light in my face. You know, but now I've got this, like, kind of aesthetic thing leafy thing going life. on. God, you know, great for photography, but I want right. the light, right? But anyway. Right.
2: But I think a lot of people f- feel that way. They like a tree. It just shouldn't be in their backyard. <laughs>
0: Nimbies. Not in my backyard. <laughs> Eco-nimbies. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cool. Natalie, thank you for your time. Yeah,
2: thank you for some really good questions.
0: A few weeks before the launch of this episode, the details of the municipal budget for 2020 for Copenhagen were released. Lots of talk of green and CO2 neutral and this and that, as ever. And there are some good things in it. But trees? Yeah. 500,000 Danish kroner, about 67,000 euros, was earmarked for shutting down the city's own horticulture nursery. And over the next three years, 13.3 million kroner, about 1.7 million euros, is allocated to something called streamlining the assignments of green care and cleaning, which sounds like politicians speak for, yeah, I have no idea. There is something called from gray to green, new green connections and increased quality of green areas but it's something that they just promised to talk about in 2021. In short, no money allocated in this wealthy city to planting trees, establishing a tree office, doing a comprehensive tree count, or even just taking better care of the trees that we have left. Awkward. The Sandras and Natalies of the cities of the world are more important than ever in this age of urbanism. Here in Copenhagen, they are absolutely vital, crucial, and like the trees in our cities irreplaceable. You've been listening to The Life-Sized City, my podcast about urbanism and urban change. As ever, this episode was produced thanks to red wine and coffee. The music was composed by Phil Creamer. Check out his website at www.hereonout.ca. I'm Michael Koval Anderson. Thanks for listening.